My name is Michael Gaia, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the hour is Mr. Todd Harrison. Todd, we've done these spaces, and obviously I know about you, but introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What's your background? What have you done throughout your career? What are you doing currently? Oh, wow. So, hey, Michael, you know, I keep this part short. 34 years, I think, now on Wall Street, started at Morgan Stanley Equity Derivatives, moved through the buy side, ended up at Kramer Berkowitz, uh, where I was president and ran trading. Into 9-11, saw the towers fall and the people jump and discovered the, the wellness properties of cannabis and, and how it profoundly impacted my life and, and you know went full bore into that space, met my partners along the way who have done equal amounts of research. And we've been, you know, we've been knee deep in the space for over a decade now. And obviously it's had its twists and turns, but here we are. So I put the MSOS advisors here as U.S. Canvas ETF in the name of this. What is your relationship to that fund? Yeah, so since they uh, launched, I think it was September of 2020, if memory serves, we have been a, an advisor to them. We share our research. We work with them in terms of identifying which companies are best suited for the portfolio and portfolio construction. But it is arm's length. All of those decisions are Dan's. You know, we speak uh, regularly, but it's it's uh, flavor on the speech, it's introductions, and it's trying to just, you know, find the companies out there that are going and have been uh, navigating a, a very onerous environment, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And, you know, it's been three years. I, I think the U.S. Cannabis MSOS uh, ETF topped on February 10th, 2021. So here we are, February 14th, 2024. So it's been a long road, but there's a few things going on that that probably are of interest to your readers. And it's interesting because, you know, when I look at the AUM chart on that ETF, out of the gate, you know, slowly built up and got to over a billion in 2022, then looks like it went as low as 330 million-ish. And then, you know, it really tripled in AUM. It's now at around 900 million. So obviously, there's a lot more interest and flow that's going into uh, that fund. What What's gone on in 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 investor psychology or investor awareness when it comes to cannabis that's caused such a such a big reallocation to that fund? Well, I think, you know, to, to how we got here, I think, is critical to this conversation because obviously in, in 2020, as we made that high, there was a lot of euphoria around the blue wave and what the implications of that blue wave might be. And if you recall, that, that election cycle saw New York uh, come on board, New Jersey come on board, which was a read through to New York, which has subsequently come on board. And you know, all of that state level uh, adoption uh, between 2020 and, and now, I think, is is really relevant to the conversation. Maryland, Missouri, uh, Pennsylvania is now on the clock. Uh, we're waiting to hear from the Florida Supreme Court um, on, on their ability to let the voters decide in November. So, you know, the migration, the inside out legalization of the U.S. cannabis industry continues apace. Uh, what has really tripped up the sector is a number of different delays and regulatory impediments, uh, custody being, I think, chief among them uh, in that banks were not uh, were no longer allowed to, to custody plant touching uh, U.S. operators. I started with Pershing in 2019 and and it's now subsequently spread across the entire space. So you now have a, a situation uh, and we spoke about MSOS, but you have a situation where there's only really one scalable pipe for most people to access the space. I'm saying most people uh, to access the space and that's MSOS, but the underlying securities were trading by appointment not too long ago. So, you know, what changed you asked in, in sort of that embedded psychology in that three-year bear market and the duration and the depth of that bear market? I think MSOS was down 92% from peak to trough. And we got in late August, it was actually the last day of summer, 
we got a headline that the HHS was uh, reviewing a cannabis and, you know, that got the, the, the space jacked up, I, you know, it ripped higher and then came back and retested the whole move on much lighter volume into the, into the, into the December. And, you know, since then we've worked our way higher and, and that was really triggered as we entered January. There's been a, a steady drumbeat of positive news. And, and again, while many of us who've been focusing on the, on the sector knew that this uh, schedule three review has been underway. And the next step of that process was the DEA to come back with their, um, you know, opinion on the HHS recommendation. So we knew that that was uh, happening, but, you know, for a lot of, you know, tourists, pedestrians, generalists, whatever you want to call them, people who aren't obsessed, focused, and otherwise, you know, staring at this space, you know, the headline on what was it, January 3rd, a punch bowl headline saying the DEA told House lawmakers cannabis uh, scheduling review is ongoing. About a week later, we got that release of 220, 252 pages of documents, excuse me, that explained that cannabis has a currently, med- currently accepted medical use for treatment in the United States and a potential for abuse that is less than other drugs and substances in Schedule 1 and 2, including alcohol, right? And then, you know, what was it? Two weeks later, toward the end of January, we got a DOJ you know, response to the lawsuit uh, brought by the industry uh, that effectively said the court shouldn't get involved. We're, you know, already in the process of of making this decision. So, you know, all of that sort of combined, you know, uh, to to attract a lot more capital in the space. And I, and I think the composition of that capital is important, as we've seen in the last couple of days. You know, that fast money, that crypto money, that you know, fast money fund, uh, hedge funds. It's really the only money in town that can get to these names because most of these institutions, if not all of the institutions, ninety six percent of these floats are. Are, 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 you know, are non-institutional, it's really moved these things around. And, you know, we, I think the MSOS was at 48% toward the end of January. And subsequently, it's come in, I think right now, as we sit here, it's up 21%, uh, which again, if you walked in on February 14th and said MSOS was up 21% and, you know, you've worked off your overbought conditions and you had Green Thumb and Trulieve and, and, and Verona wall testing uh, big breakout levels, you'd be pretty excited. But uh, that's not the way this space works. Uh, there's been a lot of conjecture around the timing of the news, and uh, and you've seen a lot of fast money. And, and just to bring this in for a landing, in the last four days, you've seen uh, another ETF, which is MJUS, uh, with a massive rebalancing. And they're just, you know, this is not the way these stocks trade. They're coming in with market orders for 100, 200,000 and just pushing these things around 10, 15% in a clip. So that's a large reason why we've seen, uh, you know, this excess volatility in the last few days, last, you know, five days, we'll call it. Uh, last time that they rebalanced, I think in total, it lasted two weeks, but most of that damage was done in the first few days. So we'll see as we wait for the next headline from, from the government. So the real point on the volatility is that because there's not this, that much institutional or if any kind of big money that's going in there, there's just lower liquidity, which causes these spreads to widen and causes some of the bigger swings. It's not really as much fundamentally driven. In terms of the speed of it, well, I mean, listen, the fundamental—you can't say the fundamentals are absent, but you can see that this the, the structural dynamic is amplifying the moves both ways. I think, you know, it, you can argue that you know the price, the prices of you know cannabis prices, you know, are ratcheted lower over the course of the last few years, and, and many of the states were delayed, and there are fundamental reasons why the prices have come in. But that being said, you know, these companies are still paying a 75% effective tax rate. They have no institutional capital. They have no access to capital. There hasn't been, you know, a legitimate raise in a few years. And, you know, the companies that are still here are lean and mean and, and ready to, 
you know, kind of moves back on offense, but we need that kiss from the gods. And, you know, we think that, you know, comes by way of a tricky trifecta, as we call it, that, you know, we think it's schedule three. We think we get that, you know, that DEA ruling, either a proposed ruling sooner versus sooner rather than later, or a final ruling, which, you know, may not be sooner rather than later, but will come in the next, call it, you know, several months. But either way, right, this is, you know, 70 some odd years of prohibition being unwound. And, it, you know, whether we're talking about a matter of weeks or a matter of months, unless you're on, you know, MSOS paper, it really shouldn't be your, you know, the when shouldn't be as important as the what and, and, and the why. You know, as, as 280E falls away, which is the big takeaway for Schedule 3, whether that's for this year or next year remains to be seen, you know, hope springs eternal. And there are some lawsuits around the taxation regime that's currently in place. But, you know, 280E uh, falling away, I think I read, you know, will drop around $600 million to the bottom line, you know, this calendar year, which is not a small amount of money for for an industry that's been starved of capital for so long. Do you get a sense when that DEA, DEA ruling comes out that that can be a, a sell the news type of dynamic or is that sort of the the go ahead to allocate even more to the space? I think it's a, it's a step. You know, the other two parts of that trifecta are a Garland memo, which we expect will elucidate, you know, the how, how a Schedule 3 substance is going to be treated. Uh, we think there's going to be some language in there that's going to, that is going to be the main takeaway from the Cole memo is going to be some language for banks and or financial institutions. Like we don't know because we haven't seen it, but, you know, having the attorney general come out and basically uh, rescind or, you know, unrescind, I guess, the Cole memo, if we're going to be uh, proper, you know, the Cole memo when they, when Jeff Sessions pulled that in 2018 was that, you know, that tug on the, on, on the, on the sweater string that really unraveled the whole thing, right? Because once before that, all of these cannabis companies had no problem banking. Uh, since then, banking has been problematic, not only for, you know, the publicly traded guys, but more so for all of the operators out there that, you know, without the scale, they definitely can't compete with this, you know, tax treatment in which, you know, the, the, the cost of capital. But, you know, that we think is going to come in as the second part. And then, you know, we still think that there's a shot for safe. You know, we don't really talk about it because it's been, you know, a source of so much angst and frustration and and the legislation is you know, the, the let. The U.S. Legislator, uh, legislature is a shit show, to put it mildly. So having any confidence, you know, especially watching what's going on with the funding uh, bills right now and with uh, uh, all the aid bills, like, you know, it's hard to have any confidence in these people. Uh, but uh, we've been told that work continues and, you know, that's, you know, still, you know, part of the intended, uh, you know, pathway into the election. So, you know, we have an election in nine months. And we expect a lot to happen between now and then. You know, if you're trying to day trade these things and dancing with MJUS, which is out there with 100,000 share market orders, and we don't know when that cleans, you know, good luck with that. But if you want to take a step back and zoom out a little bit, I think it's, you know, a pretty exciting time to be in the space. I think the math without 280E, you know, is compelling. And then, you know, you have all the animal spirits and what happens, you know, as we sort of come through, you know, the other side of this cycle. Right. The unknowns, as, as you probably could elucidate better than I, you know, the market is dancing on the head of a pin. I don't know if the fever broke yesterday. I think they're going to have to get to NVIDIA before, you know, we kind of get to a place where we could say, you know, kind of normalcy is returned. But like that's a variable that, you know, you can't ignore because this is all part of that dynamic, whether, you know, it acts like it on updates or not. I mean, honestly, if there were a way to integrate AI with cannabis, I'm sure 
the entire space would go vertical and moon, at least for now. But let's do some theory analysis on on the election. So Biden or Trump or whoever else, who the hell knows okay. at this point. But but does any does whoever's in the White House next, either remaining or change, does that uh, change the the path, the trajectory of anything? You know, I, I, I really this election cycle is really bumming me out because, you you know, you're you have two really bad choices, in my opinion, or unless you are two evils again. But, you know, you got to play the hand you've been dealt. I don't you know, I, I had no faith in Biden following through in his promises. You know, Kamala Harris released a video last Friday where she came out and said the quiet part out loud that the federal government has changed the federal cannabis laws. She literally released that video last Friday night. Now, you know, that means one of three things. A, she's gaslighting everybody and, you know, everything they say is true. B, it was scheduled, but it was pushed. Maybe it was because of the leak last week. Who knows? But that or C, you know, it's just the timing. You know, it's just, you know, on brand for, you know, for a lot of chaos, you know, and the timing was was uh, crossed wire. But, you know. The, la- the last two scenarios there are very positive, right? It means that it's coming. And when that comes, I, I don't think it's going to really matter who's going if- to, if it is in front of the election as we expect, uh, I don't think that part is going to matter as much, you know, is in terms of who's in the Oval Office next year. Okay. So it, it, it's sort of more of a, let's call it a competence issue more than anything else. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now... Back to our discussion. I mean, how can you not? If you have, if you have, if you don't, if you're not, if you're not having concerns about our about the government, then I don't think you've been paying attention. But this is a process, the scheduling process, which I guess the upside of anger is that this is not reliant on Chuck Schumer or Mike Johnson. This is really a process we think it's already you know uh, it is done and dusted, like famous last words. But you know, you have 252. Pages of proof. You have, you know, uh, you know, an AG that was appointed by Biden. Is he really going to, you know, put, you know, do something, you know, to really fuck Biden like that? I don't know. I mean, I guess it could happen, uh, but we think we're going to get, you know, at least Schedule Two and a Garland memo. And oh, by the way, again, like, not let's not get away from the actual, you know, as much as everybody is treating this sector like it's a Phase Three binary, you know, outcome. And that's how it's trading, right? Like this is a binary. Like yeah, we if see if MSOS was fifteen dollars last December, or I guess two Decembers ago, on the Spectre is safe, and and Schedule Three is magnitudes more important than safe. You know where should MSOS be on Schedule Three? It's at eight and a half dollars now, right? It was it was you know almost two X. It was fifteen, you know, on maybe safe. So like yeah, it's a binary outcome. It's a Phase Three readout, and I think once we get that. You know, it'll take uh, a lot of pressure off of the space and allow people to focus on the underlying fundamentals. But we're going to need to have MSOS play a critical role uh, this year as a bridge to that sticky liquidity. Because again, the fast money composition of volume right now is not the type of sticky 
liquidity that's going to ultimately comprise these cap tables, right? You know, Green Thumb, Verano, Terrasen, you know, like they, they're going to attract institutional money, right? Cureleaf, I, and there's a bunch of them, right? Like, and I think that, that fundamental analysis is really going to start when the ability to custody these stocks is here. We continue to talk to a lot of people, and we talk to a lot of people who talk to a lot of people who are outside of our circles, who tell us that, you know, after so many false starts and empty promises, they want to see actual change before they enter the space, right? So like, when, when does that, when, what does that signal? Is it the Schedule 3 proposed rule? Is it when it's finally implemented? Is it the Garland memo? I don't know. Uh, but we do have a good read that, you know, uh, based on every conversation, most every conversation we've had, you know, it's been produced to the corpse and we'll release slog, right? Show us this actual change and we're going to, and we're going to put capital into the space. Let's get uh, into the, the, uh, industry itself in terms of potential for consolidation competition, if it ends up being winner or take all, right, from a very long-term perspective. Um, do you think you're going to see uh, acquisitions really accelerate as things lighten up on the federal side? Or, yeah, is it one of the things where the best thing to do is just go for the biggest, the big, or try to look for, you know, more undervalued, but smaller opportunities? Yeah, I know. I don't think bigger is better. You know, I think much like Canada, you're going to see, you know, a fang type of, you know, for a fearsome foursome that's going to attract the institutional capital. And even like, you know, the biggest of the big right now are too small for a lot of the institutions, right? Like, you know, these guys, to move their needle on a performance basis, they need to own, you know, a lot more than they could own of where these companies told them. I mean, the whole industry right now, as I sit here, is including ETFs is $12.8 billion. That's the entire industry market cap of plant touching, uh, including ETFs. That's everything, all in, $12.8 billion, right? It's not a big number, right? So like, you know, I think now is a really good opportunity and we've seen it sort of play out in the first phase of, of these rallies and, you know, the two-sided torque on some of the back-end, you know, back-end names or some of the names that were kind of left for dead in the status quo. We, we use Air Wellness as one of those names because, you know, it was trading at 60 cents, you know, in the summer and it was priced, you know, a stone's throw from its cash level because, you know, they had a lot of debt. They, you know, didn't have, we as an industry didn't have visibility on the cash flow generation levers that are going to enable that company to service the debt or any company to service the debt, right? Like things like Safe Banking or Schedule 3 or Garland Memo or Florida or Ohio, which also came on, or Pennsylvania, right? So all, as those things start to, to, to come into view, uh, these things are getting repriced from sort of distress to, you know, potential uh, equities again, right? I say potential because they're still trading at a, at, a, at a pretty significant discount to other CPG categories, especially given, you know, sort of their, their forward profile and the states that are onboarding. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's going to take, you know, time. It's going to take the process. MSOS has to be that bridge. And, and I think as we get to the other side and, and, and companies can custody and own the stocks, they're going to do the work and they're going to say, okay, you know, I could have this 300-pound gorilla, or I could have this 200-pound, you know, ripped, you know, you know, operator that is, you know, going to have a lot more leverage on the states they're in because maybe they're deeper, or have a lot more optionality to move to other states because they don't have a full footprint. And all of those nuances that we used to think would matter before we realized that this was all sort of structural, you know, trade here where you have, you know, 90, 80 to 90% of the volume on most days was algorithmic, 
it was all sort of the arms picking off retail and, you know, playing the the, the disparity between a NYSE listed ETF and a, you know, and the underlyings that are traded on third tier exchanges or fourth tier exchanges. So there's been a lot of fuckery is, is sort of what I'm saying. And I think people have, you know, they look at the space and they say it's down and they say, oh, it's falling again. Oh, I fell for it again. Here we go again. Okay. Like I get it, but let's not forget, you know, there are things that are underway right now. And there's enough people who have, uh, I think, pretty significant ties to the space who are telling us that this is moving, that you got to, you know, sort of get to the mindset that, okay, it's going to happen. How do I want to be positioned? Do or do I, you know, what's my, what's my portfolio look like? You know, do I have enough beta versus some of the guys that I want to hold on to through the long run? And, you know, that's how we're trying to, to, to position. And that's how I think Dan was trying to position. And so you have a barbell where you have the thing, you know, for lack of a better word on, on one side, and you have the forgotten on the other. And if we do get the regular, the regulatory reform, I think you're going to see a, a faster pace of reflation on that on the back end than you will on the front end, but a higher margin of safety on the front. Which, which makes me think it, it kind of goes back to what I keep stressing around, you know, factors and small caps and sentiment in general. So it, uh, the forgotten, as you mentioned, are probably going to be the smaller, you know, thoughts within the space. So yes, a rising tide should cause all these thoughts to co-move together. But uh, if you were to have a broader reallocation of the small caps, I would think the, the uh, in quotes, the forgotten would benefit just because they're smaller anyway. Well, I mean, the opposite of volatility is liquidity, right? Try buying a thin stock, right? And you'll see just how that dynamic works. But here's the other thing, like this, the back of the totem pole guys that we talk about, they're probably going to be first to go to market. And as we talk to a lot of these guys, because again, Michael, I, you know, we we work with some of these companies, you know, we advise them and, and what we're, you know, we tell them is that when the time comes to raise capital, you know, obviously we want to find a strategic first where it's not so much about dilution as much about the forward, you know, optionality that that partner would bring. If you can't find a strategic, then, you know, let's, let's go uh, and do a private placement. So you're not going out there and giving all of the shorts and the short interest continues to, you know, to, to trend higher here for a few reasons, not just from a negativity standpoint, but you don't want to, you know, do a bought deal and let all these guys, you know, give them the out if at all possible, right? You want to, you want to try to leave that future demand in the marketplace. But, you know, we're not in a place yet where, you know, you have options, right? Capital is still tight. It's not like there's been a, you know, a rush into this space. As I said, there's been so many, you know, battle scars, war wounds, and, you know, PTSD that I don't, you know, I, I don't blame a lot of people for, you know, for not buying into this. And certainly, you know, we expect that as we do see, you know, whenever that is, when we do see uh, some some federal reform, uh, I think that's where we really start to see this mature from, you know, this sort of, you know, side pocket, you know, speculative corner of a corner of, of a market into a sector uh, that starts to emerge. And, and then as we research this plant more and understand the wellness properties and the efficacious agility, quote unquote, then I think that, you know, a lot of the late cycle adopters will move in. But, you know, this is, you know, this has taken a long time, right? I mean, we were programmed as kids to believe this is your brain on drugs with a frying pan and the egg and all this. And, you know, that also has to cycle out all of that sort of rhetoric and all of that perception. So I, I think we're on our way, but it's a long tail. Question in the thread from somebody asking about, you know, your, your kind of global outlook, talking about the UK, talking about Canada, any, any perspectives or thoughts on things that are happening outside the US? 
I mean, Germany's interesting. We're on, we think April is when they're going to open the doors. And that has implications for the, the UN single narcotic convention, single treaty narcotic convention, which I think a lot of people or some people think will be a stumbling block for the DEA. But, you know, we think the global outlook is, is there. I mean, you're seeing the programs evolve and you're seeing it in the Netherlands. You're seeing it in Israel. You're seeing it in, in Germany. You're seeing it in Poland. You're seeing it in Australia. You're even seeing it in the UK at some level. So, you know, different strokes for different folks. It's going to take time. But if Germany does flip, I think the implications for the EU are going to be pretty massive. And that, you know, that, that's another conversation in terms of, you know, which companies those are. There's a few. Like Village Farms happens to have a nice set of licenses and there's others. But that's not the U.S. MSOs with the exception of Chiralese, which has some exposure there. I got a few minutes left uh, since Todd has to hop to release. Everybody, please make sure you follow Todd Harrison here on X. Maybe for the last few minutes, I'm curious, just given that you're you know, really deep and immersed on the research side of things, how do you how do you even go about identifying sort of the potential of any particular cannabis stock play? Meaning, is it based purely on location? Is is free cash flow the most important dynamic? What, what are some of the things that you you tend to focus the most on? Well, I mean, listen, it comes down to performance and, and execution of, of performance over a period of time. And, you know, there have been some companies that I think have stood out in that regard. But for us, and this is, you know, everybody has their own style. We, we, we try to put a, a, you know, a fair amount of emphasis on the jockey over the horse, the integrity of management. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, a, a lot of people who cut corners in this space. And I think, you know, if there's anything that came out uh, positive uh, from the last you know five years, and again you had two. What was it? Eighty five percent drawdowns, eighty four percent for one eighty four, one ninety two. So you had two drawdowns in the last five years, and if that's good for anything, uh, it's good for demonstrating you know who does what when the going gets tough, who cut who cuts corners when they need to, and you know, and really iron sharpens iron. Like you find out who, what people are made of. I mean, that's where you know really Jason Wilde and I forged our you know, our bond in that first downturn and, you know, and, and many others along the way. And I think, you know, if you can find, you know, there's a lot of good people in this space, right? And, 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 and the integrity of that management, I think in this space more than others carries a lot of weight. But ultimately, you know, as you know, it, it comes down to fundamental performance. I think the industry got a bad rap, if I can just say this, you know, they've alienated uh, every class of investors over the last five years, you know, first it was the growth guys, but after, you know, given 280E and after all the delays at the federal level, you know, all of these companies, you know, you know, throttled back on their capex and, you know, and decided that they wanted to stay alive to make sure that they're around to thrive when the time comes. So the growth is going to go away when you're not spending on growth, obviously. And I think a lot of growth investors, when they started to see those numbers said, thank you very much, I'm out. And then, and then the value guys came along and said, wow, these things are really cheap and they got involved. And then, you know, as they saw the dynamics and saw that there wasn't the visibility of cash flow to service the debt, and they were like, holy shit, this is a value trap. I got to get out. So over the last five years, you've alienated gross, you've alienated value, you've alienated retail, and, you know, that you have to rebuild that trust. So I think that's going to take time and price. So, you know, the buyers are probably higher as they usually are. But, you know, know what you own, know, you know, why you own it. And, you know, like, I think if you've been in this space for a while, you're, you've come to expect a lot of these cross currents and volatility. And if you're new to the space, even if you're coming from the crypto world, you're probably asking yourself, what the fuck did I just get myself into? But again, as, as custody comes on board, as liquidity comes into the space, the opposite of liquidity is volatility. So the more liquidity we have, 
the less volatile these stocks will become over time, hopefully at higher prices. Everybody, again, please make sure you follow Todd Harrison. This will be available on Lead Lag Live as a podcast. Hopefully, I'll have Todd on for a longer conversation in the months ahead. And everybody, I'll see you some other day. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you. Cheers, everybody. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Leadlag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Leadlag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.